And the point is, I want to say again as we start tonight, my purpose in doing this, folks, is to honor and magnify the God we serve who made us and make him as huge as I can make him in the eyes of everybody. And in the process, hopefully bring some people to see there is a God that's worthy of all our praise and our deserved and deserves all of our attention and effort in serving him. So that's the introduction. You see before you tonight, we're going to talk about the theme fearfully and wonderfully made and particularly about the human body. Now I've spent a lot of time on little one celled organisms and I guess you're interested in those little creatures, but I know we're really interested in us and how did we get here and what do we look like and how do we function? And so tonight we're focusing in on the human body made in the image of God, humans, who are the, obviously the end of God's creation and the primary purpose for it. So I'm starting in Genesis 1. As we have each night, I want to start in a church building with biblical passages. And so Genesis 1 verse 26 Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And I pause there to say, would you have ever believed, those of us who have long enough years on us, that we would now have a Supreme Court potential justice say, I can't define what a female is, what a woman is. The Bible says God made us male and female, not 75 genders. It's pretty simple. And the science of the human being very clearly distinguishes between males and females and if you're not aware, that can be distinguished at the instant of conception because there is a difference in the DNA, folks, about which we've been talking. And it's also interesting that God said he made us both in his image, male and female. That's not my theme tonight, but that's another whole interesting subject to discuss. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It is very clear from Scripture that mankind is a distinct creation by God that they did not develop from lower creatures over millions of years by evolutionary process. Theistic evolution, that God did this by means of evolution, does not fit with what the Scripture teaches, folks. The, the Scriptures teach that humans were a distinct creation, different from all others, and specifically in that we are made in the image of God. Let that be clearly noted. <clears throat> so, 
Let's turn to two other passages of Scripture which identify the theme for tonight. Psalm 139 has the exact words. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works in that my soul knows very well. Fearfully and wonderfully made is our theme tonight. And that specifically in Bible terms has been used to refer to the human making. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. And then Romans 1, our theme passage for the week, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, which means there was a maker behind it who is marvelous and wonderful are his works. So that's our introduction from the Bible. The rest of our time tonight, ladies and gentlemen, will be spent looking at God's other book, the book of the natural world. So I refer you now to this book by Richard Dawkins, our favorite evolutionist, from whom we've quoted quite a bit tonight because I told you in the first lecture that he is a professor of public information about science at Oxford University in England. I mean, he's a He's a big guy, and he's supposed to represent science to the world. So he is really claims for himself to be a spokesman for the sciences. So I quote him a good bit because that's what he's supposed to do. And he is as biased as it gets. And so this book, The Blind Watchmaker, is a takeoff on Paley's book, Natural Theology, in which he starts with the watchmaker argument. You remember I told you about that the first lecture. Well, he takes a play off of that in this book. And he says Paley was good, but he was completely wrong. That a watchmaker is that's just not it. And we don't need a watchmaker. All we need is natural selection acted upon by, I mean, natural variation acted upon by natural selection. It takes care of everything. The blind forces of physics. All right, so I'm going to give you several quotes from this book. We'll start on page one, you see before you. We animals are the most complicated things known in the universe. So he tells you where we fit. And a little bit later he says, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. They look like they were designed, but he proceeds to tell you they're not. The process by which an airliner came into existence, says it on page 3, is not fundamentally mysterious to us because humans built it. Would you say amen to that class? Well, yeah, I think that's reasonable. What about our own bodies? Each of us is a machine like an airliner, only much more complicated. Amen to that? Were the, we designed on a drawing board too and were our parts assembled by a skilled engineer? I think you ought to say yes. And his answer is no. Much more complicated, much more complex, much more amazing, but we were not designed. 
the Oxford professor of science information. Then he goes on on page 14, we shall explain its coming into existence, and he means by its us. As a consequence of gradual, cumulative, step-by-step transformations from simpler things, from primordial objects sufficiently simple to have come into being by chance. Page 14. Folks, the whole essence of Darwin's theory was if you simplify things enough into smaller and smaller steps, each of those steps could have happened naturally, just by nature, by chance random happenings acted on by natural selection. And you add those up over a long enough period of time and you produce any kind of complex things you want. <laughs> I've read from one professor who said that once things got started, it was just going to happen that elephants appeared and everything else you see. I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. <laughs> but it's what people say. And this gentleman pretending to represent science to the world, that's what he talks about. The rest of this book is to try to convince you everything you think looks like it was designed was not designed. Michael Behe, on the other hand, is a biochemist who's in his book. Did I bring the book with me or not? Here it is. No, I didn't bring that book with me. It's all right. I can quote from it. Yeah, I did. Darwin's Black Box. Michael Behe. Michael Behe is a Roman Catholic. I say that only to let you know that the Pope of Rome a number of years ago declared that for a Roman Catholic, acceptance of the general theory of evolution is perfectly acceptable to all adherents to Catholicism. And when I say that, that means the Catholic Church has given its effective approval to the general theory of evolution as Darwin proposed it and as others present it. So as a Roman Catholic, Michael Behe had no reason as a biochemist religiously to give up the notion of the general theory of evolution. But he has come to believe there's serious problems with it from looking at the science at the biochemical level. So when I quote from him in opposition to Mr. Dawkins, Dr. Dawkins, I'm quoting from a man who is a science practitioner at the biochemical level, well-respected, widely published, and who had no reason religiously to undermine the general theory of evolution. But he does it all the time. And so here's what he said. Richard Dawkins can simplify to his heart's content because he wants to convince his readers that Darwinian evolution is a breeze. And that's exactly what Dawkins tries to do, get you to see that you, if, you, if this isn't simple enough, then, then let's break it down into six more steps and they're simpler. And if that isn't simple enough, break it down some more. And if that isn't enough, you just keep breaking it down and you'll get it down to a small enough step that happened by natural causes. And then you add them all up and you get whatever you want. He's the ultimate reductionist. 
Behe says he can simplify all he wants, but in order to understand the barriers to evolution, you have to bite the bullet of complexity, and that's at the chemical level. Don't talk to me about bodies. Talk to me about the chemistry inside the bodies, which is why I like to talk about this. I don't want to hear about evolution of bodies. I want to hear about evolution of the chemistry that runs them. Biochemistry has demonstrated that any biological apparatus involving more than one cell, such as an organ or a tissue, is necessarily an intricate web of many different identifiable systems of horrendous complexity. And I say, Amen. I showed you a little bit of that last night, didn't I? Oops. Not sure what happened there. <laughs> Did I do that? I skipped about 16 slides right there. Let's see if I can get back. Can you take me back? Helper man. David Creech, this is the helper man. All right, let me see. Okay. Here's the next book I want to take you to. This man also was an evolutionist going through medical school in his early college days. In fact, it wasn't until he was in uh, practicing medicine for some time that he became convinced by what he was observing as a scientist this could not have happened by natural causes. So Dr. Jeffrey Simmons in his book, What Darwin Didn't Know, this whole book is about the human body. In fact, he takes a chapter for every basic system in the human body and describes the wonderful things that happen inside. The interior of the human body is a much busier place than New York City, London, Mexico City, Tokyo, and Bombay combined. You have trillions of cells. Some people say 30 to 40 trillion cells in your body. And they participate in more than a quadrillion purposeful chemical interactions each day that help us walk, breathe. I'm kind of pausing here because I want to turn to page 16. There's a whole lot more up in page 16 than what he says. <laughs> so, they help us to walk, breathe, think, sleep, procreate, see, hear, smell, feel, digest food, eliminate waste, write, read, talk, make red cells, remove dead cells, fight infections, behave, misbehave, absorb nutrients, transport oxygen, eliminate carbon dioxide, maintain balance, carry on dialogue, understand instructions, argue, and make complex decisions, just to name a few of our common activities. That's happening all the time. The human brain is an extraordinary multitasking, multipurpose biological computer. Every bodily action is coordinated by conference calls between millions of neurons in the brain. Imagine a multinational corporation with 35 billion employees who stay in constant touch with each other and are capable of making trillions of decisions every microsecond. My kids tell me I love that word, microsecond. That's one millionth of a second. And stuff is happening in a millionth of a second in your body constantly. And in your brain as it directs a multinational corporation. 
Every aspect of human physiology has multiple facets, steps, purposes, managers, feedback loops, anticipated outcomes, and double checks. Every function is too complex to be informed by slow accidental changes that luckily fit together. It cannot be, folks. And this doctor is willing to say so out loud and put it in print. And I thank God for folks like that who go against the grain of the generally accepted trend. Which leads us to our subject for tonight. So what do you pick out of all of that to talk about about the human being? Well, I have chosen to talk about the immune system. And here's what Mr. B, he says about that. So your first item on your test tomorrow is the four major components of the immune system. And he lists them right here. Diversity, critically important. Recognition. You better know in the immune system what is you and what is not you. Okay, it's important. Destruction. A part of what the immune system does is it kills stuff. And if it didn't, you'd be dead because it's a war. And then toleration. The immune system has to put up with some stuff like you. <laughs> it's got to put up with you and the parts of you that you don't want killed, right? You want it to kill the other, not you. So the immune system as it is designed has all of this playing together at the same time. All of these and more interact with each other, whichever way we turn a gradualistic account, the Darwinian account of the immune system is blocked by multiple interwoven requirements. There's a book out that tells that speaks about men and women, and its title is Men are waffles and women are spaghetti. And what I'm telling you in this subject is this is spaghetti uh, in 68 dimensions. Everything depends on everything else. It's amazing. As scientists, Dr. B, he says, we yearn to understand how this magnificent mechanism came to be. In fact, he would tell you, as do many others, that of the complexity of things, next to the human brain, the immune system is the most complex thing known to man. But the complexity of the system dooms all Darwinian explanations to frustration. So let me see how much I can give you of that. By the time you finish... If you're a Darwinian, I want you totally frustrated when you walk out that door. So I gave you a handout. You got it there? Take it out, please, and let's look at it together. This will be question number two on your test tomorrow. By the way, David said he's the only one that showed up for the test this morning. <laughs> and I asked him if he made up a good one. He said, yes, it had two questions, just right, 
and proteins. <laughs> so let's look at this for just a minute. Parts of the immune system. Over on the left, let me see if I can blow this up a little bit. Yeah, make it a little bit bigger. Over on the left, you see the anatomical and physiological barriers. They are part of your overall immune system. Barriers. The most important of them all is listed at the top, and that's your skin. You do know, class, don't you know, that's your largest organ of your body. And it's critically important to your defense. It's got all kinds of features in it that help you defeat enemies because you're under attack all the time. And so I don't have time to talk about the skin very much tonight, but just understand, if the skin is invaded, you're in bigger trouble. But there's a whole thing backing that up, as you'll see. The skin's critically important. So protect your skin. I do want to say at least this much. Do you know that the skin has lots of layers of cells, and the outer seven or eight layers are dead cells for the most part? which is very good for you because the dead cells help keep other stuff out. You don't want to go into dead places. And besides that, there's extra stuff on those dead cells that help kill things, kills things, like viruses. So there's a whole lot about the skin we ought to talk about. But the skin also has openings, doesn't it? And other openings I don't wish to talk about. <laughs> You have several openings by which invaders can get into your body independent of skin, right? Well, in addition then, you have extra protections by way of anatomical and physiological barriers. I mentioned to you the cilia last night. They're hairs that are lots of places on your body, and they are vitally important to protect you. And we don't have time to talk about that either. But they are protecting the openings where there isn't skin to protect you. In addition to that, your stomach has a low pH. That means it's highly acidic. And it kills stuff that you don't want. So if it gets through your mouth into your stomach, it gets killed in the stomach a lot of times by the acidic content of the stomach. In addition to that, you have lysosomes in your tears and in your saliva that kill things. So that's another opening place. And lots of others we could talk about. But that whole thing, we're kind of going past. Let's talk now. Once the skin or some other part of your body is invaded, then you've got two big immune systems, innate and adaptive. And the big picture is the innate system is what attacks instantly once you have invaders coming inside. They're instantaneous reactions. There's a bunch of pieces to it. Let me just read them because we're not going to have time to talk about them all. But natural killer cells, neutrophils, T cells, mast cells, macrophages, eosinophils, dendritic cells. And then down here, the complement, which is a fascinating thing we should spend about six weeks on. This is in the humoral. That's the, uh, in the bloodstream and the... Uh, Antimicrobial peptides, LPS binding proteins, C-reactive proteins, and mannose binding lectin. All of those are parts of your innate system that play vital parts to protecting you. We'll hit on some of those. Here's the big overview. They are nonspecific, fast response, and they provide no memory. 
That's question four on your test. The innate system is fast. It's nonspecific. In other words, it's going after enemies, period. Doesn't care what they are. And doesn't provide you a backup memory. On the other hand, the adaptive system is the T cells, the B cells, and the antibodies. Those are called adaptive because they don't take place until you activate them. So the general thing to remember is they are specific. They're for a particular enemy. They are primed. That means something has to activate them before they get going. That naturally means it takes them longer. And they provide memory cells. That's the biggie, folks. Both T cells and B cells in the process of immune system produce memory cells which stay in your body from then forward. And what does a memory cell do? Watch me. I know you. You're my enemy. And once I know you, if you ever show up again, you got big trouble. Memory cells activate the immune system way faster than the first time that enemy came. And there's a whole reason for that. And so your body reacts quickly with memory cells to previous enemies. But all of that doesn't happen until your adaptive immune system gets activated. Okay, class? So the big picture is this. Innate gets you started in a hurry and does a lot of stuff, including damaging you. Because <laughs> it, it, it doesn't care what it kills. It reacts over time to produce your adaptive system, which gets in activity probably in a day or two or three before it starts really kicking in. But then it brings the heavy artillery, and your enemies are in big trouble. Then it provides you with memory, some say, for the rest of your life against that enemy. Sounds like a plan to me. It's another one of those cases where it sure looks like it's designed for a purpose. Wouldn't you agree? And yet Mr. Dawkins would say, no. And by the way, I want to introduce you to another book. I was just introduced to this about six months ago. I honestly couldn't put it down. It's called Immune. It's by Philip Detmer, who is not a scientist. He's a guy who's taken upon himself to explain hard things. And he has a whole uh, website devoted to taking difficult subjects and making them simpler and enjoyable. So I'm hoping I can make you laugh a little bit tonight about the immune system because my Marilyn, when I was reading this book over the last few months in my office, would come in and hear me laughing out loud and saying, what's going on in here? I'm reading about the immune system. What do you think? This guy is nuts. He talks about it in really funny ways, so I'm going to try to help you get that picture. But in addition to that, he is a complete and utter evolutionist. So for that reason, I don't want you to read the book. 
but it is so good in terms of explaining all these things, how they work. I'd like for you to read it. Plus, you can go to his website, and what I'm showing you next, you want to get us at least opened up here? This is, I stole from his website. Now, it's okay because I'm a teacher, and I'm only using it for teaching purposes. I'm not uh, selling it or anything else, so I haven't violated any copyrights. But there's a guy that does the, the moderation in the background, has a wonderful British accent, and he's funny, but he's totally evolutionary. So I zapped him. I'm the moderator. So I'm taking their information that they produced, which is amazing, and putting the right spin on it, okay? A Christian's worldview. But this book is worth your time. So kids, immune. Some of you older ones, half immune. <laughs> All right. Here we go. I want to introduce you first, ladies and gentlemen, to the immune system as a whole. So, Mr. Creech, let's proceed. All right, we put in a stop right there. And here's the reason. I want you to see, first of all, that the innate system is over here. The adaptive system is over here that we just introduced on your paper. The various parts of that are all fine. You can find them in here. Neutrophils, macrophages, complement, dendritic, you see all of that. Over here you see the innate. The T cells are all over the place. The B cells are down here. Here are your memory cells, you see. But here's what I want you to get, class. You see all those lines up there? Spaghetti. And the problem is this. This can't function without this. And this will not do its job overall without that. Everything's interrelated. All depends on each other. So I love the way Mr. Detmer laid this out as a visual of the complexity of the interplay of the immune system. And may I just say, as a chemistry teacher, every piece of that's got chemistry involved. <laughs> And if you love it like I do, we ought to take each little piece and show you what the chemistry's doing right there. We can't do it, but we should. All right, that picture clearly in your mind? Let's go. I'm introducing you next to the lymph system. You know about your bloodstream. Many of you don't know much about the lymph system. You have a whole other system in your body that's lymph that runs through your body. There's a whole system of vessels. You just saw it. There are two major organs, the thymus and the spleen, which both direct your lymph system in amazing ways. I hope to get across to you before the time's up. I can tell you right now, I know I'm going to run out of time. And you say, what do you mean? You did an hour and a half the first night. Well, we could go way longer than that. But we're not going to. All right, so thymus and spleen, remember that. Key organs for your lymph system. Critically important for your immune system. Let's keep going. So you're going to see you've got vessels all over. These are all lymphs. 
And the man is looking around saying, whoa, stop right there. I want to introduce to you your first line of defense class. So may I introduce to you first. You see the little orange guys? He makes them look almost like people. But they're little bitty tiny organisms down inside of you at the cellular level. These, ladies and gentlemen, are the macrophages. So help me, class. What does macro mean? Large. What does phage mean? We don't know. It means eat. So a phage is an eater. So a macrophage is a? A big eater. Yeah, that's good. He is. He's a big eater. He not only eats a lot, but he's big relatively on the cellular level. So here's your first line, folks, macrophages. They come out and attack early on. Next, go ahead. Important here, the pink guys, those are the dendritic cells. They are your intelligence agents for your military. They gather intelligence and spread it around and help think. People know they also kill things, but they're also intelligent agents, intelligence agents. You know, just that you say that, for somebody who says there isn't any intelligence behind any of this, and that's all over the place. These are the intelligence agents, but it didn't take any intelligence to produce them. Next, you got the T-cells. These are the helper T-cells. They're like your colonels, your mid-level management, sergeants who direct people around and help everybody, right? We have a sergeant sitting back here, by the way, I found out today. And you, are, you were always helping your other guys get their jobs done, right? And they loved you for it. Yeah. <laughs> the, and the next are your B cells. B cells are the guys that produce your antibodies. Critically important, but they're part of the adaptive system. Next are the neutrophils, people. These are the suicide bombers. They don't care what they kill. They're one of the first lines of defense, and they come in and they kill whatever's around. They know you're in danger, and they're going to kill them. One of his lines in here was, these are like monkeys on coke with machine guns. <laughs> and they're dangerous. And one of the things you want every T-cell, pardon me, every neutrophil to be able to do is kill himself. In fact, there's a word for that. You know what it is, Matt? I'm putting you on the spot. Apop, apoptosis. There's another word for you that you've got to learn. And can anybody spell it? Apoptosis? That one's spelled just like it sounds. A-P-O-P-T-O-S-I-S. Apoptosis. That means kill yourself. And your body class as part of your immune system directs lots of cells to kill themselves especially neutrophils because if we didn't they'd kill you but they're critical <sighs> monkeys with coke on coke using machine guns there you are class this is your introduction to your first lines of defense and some of the second here we go. Oh, I did it wrong. Save me, David. I'm not supposed to click. He's supposed to click. 
All right, now let's keep going. So here's your young man surrounded by enemies. I mean, there's enemies everywhere, people. It's dangerous life. Millions of them. Here's inside enemies. Those are cancer cells. These are pathogens all outside of you, and you're in big trouble because you just cut your thumb. So as this proceeds, look at his reaction to cutting your thumb. What's your reaction when you cut your thumb? Big deal. Give me a Band-Aid and let's go on with it, right? Listen, people, you cut yourself open and open up that skin. You let every kind of stuff in there. And back in the old days, you could die from that in a hurry because everything gets inside. And the picture this guy gives in the book Immune, he says, if you think of the body as a massive organism, you, you know, if you think of the body from the standpoint of one of these little cells, it's like 10 to the minus 6th meters, you are two continents of fat mass <laughs> that they got to patrol and take care of. And you open up the skin and let everything in, it's like the invasion of the Martians from outer space. <laughs> So here we go. We're going to watch the invasion. He says, eh. By the way, this guy produced this video also. So he... All right. And let me pause there just a minute. Can you pause, David? <laughs> You're going to see little words appear up here. Just watch for those every now and again because he puts little words in there like burp. Just watch because it's fun. All right, here we go. Your skin has been violated, and look what all is coming in here. I mean, every kind of little creature, they're coming in here and watch. He lets off stuff. You know, he's got, uh, the, the book says they poop everywhere. They're making a mess of you. Lots of enemies. And at, a, at some point, your cells start screaming and hollering, wait. And some of them are already cut up and chopped up. And so here comes the macrophage to the rescue. He's a big dude, and he comes floating in here, and look, he's got tentacles. We're going to talk about those in just a minute, but this guy is the first one that gets to the problem, and there are lots of them. Let's go. All right, here's where we're going to do a little comparison. Stop right there. Can you stop? It doesn't look like it stopped. Okay. If that cell right there is one of your cells in your body and you compare it to me, if my, as a human here, I would be compared to that cell, then the macrophage compared to me would be as big as a rhinoceros. A raging rhinoceros. Go ahead. And you don't want to mess with a raging rhinoceros. And that's what you got when you get a raging macrophage. So watch him. He can take your enemy, suck him in, whole, put him in a vesicle, destroy him with acids, chew him up, and spit him out. And so here he goes, floating around, finding every enemy he can find. Burp. I'm full. Stop right there. A macrophage can eat about 100 of those enemies in a microsecond. But he does get full. 
and he slows down a little bit. So that's your initial guys that are coming on. All right, so he calls for help. And by the way, folks, you, don't know, you can't see it from this, but there's electrical and chemical signals being sent out all over your body. You cut your thumb. They're going all over your body. And they're saying, send us help. So the neutrophils get the word. Here they come. They're in your bloodstream all the time. Wish I could tell you about how they're produced and how many you've got. You got a bunch. And so they start coming, activating, go, let's move now. They're moving now toward the active site. You see, they squeeze through there. And they also eat those things alive and chew them up and spit them out. But that's not all these guys do. And this little cell is saying, stop, don't, don't come after me. And so he blows himself up and says, thank you, that was close. <laughs> and then here they are. They're coming and spitting stuff out, gooey stuff that soaks them up and chews them out. And this guy's, but see, some of this stuff's going to kill some of these cells. He almost makes these cells look like little humans, doesn't he? And this guy's floating around. I'm coming after you. And watch this guy. I mean, he is a guy that explodes himself in the process. He's killing himself. But before he dies with all this stuff already killing a bunch of enemies, watch him. It's like he comes back from the dead die and he gets after him again <laughs> listen you don't want to mess with neutrophils they're amazing so that's all going on down in here and the enemy's being attacked but it's not enough so your body sends a blood flow rapidly to that area and see all this little stuff in here those are called complement proteins there's a whole complement system in your body that it goes along with everything else I've told you. If we have time, class, we're going to talk about the complement system just a little later. But I will tell you now, there are 32 specific proteins that all work together in the complement system, and they're floating all over your body all the time in that, I'm not even going to say the number because I want to get to it later, in amazing amounts. And so they go to the place where the activity is. They start surrounding everybody, and their ultimate goal is to blow them up. But in the meantime, they do a lot of trouble in the, for the enemy also. Okay, go. So we're skipping the complement system right now. But see, these guys are kind of, well, they're doing their job. But when they turn blue like that, it's like we're slowing down a little bit. And, then, you know, we've done a lot of fighting. And it's just the enemies are still there. And what are we going to do? So that's when the dendritic cells start activating your intelligence system. So what does he do? Well, the dendritic cell's job is to bring on the adaptive system, the big guns. So how does he do it? Well, first of all, he kills some enemies himself. Let's go. He takes in an enemy, chews him up, spits him out, and covers his body with him. Stop right there. You see that? He's got tentacles with parts of the dead bodies of his enemies all over it <laughs> and so when you listen to Phil Detmer describe that I mean it's funny it's not funny he's got dead pieces all over his body but that's the way it works and why is that because you need you need the adaptive system to identify that enemy 
And what better way to identify him than to chop him up and let him smell pieces? That's exactly what happens. Let's move. So now he's going into your lymph system. He squeezes into the lymph system, and what he's looking for, ladies and gentlemen, is T-cells as he floats through your immune system, headed for the thymus gland up here near your neck, and he's looking out for the right kind of T-cells because there's only a certain one or two that'll be just right for this. And so you see this T-cell right here? It has to be the right one for that enemy that matches what's on his body. What's the two words? It has to be just right. Exactly right. All right, so let's proceed. So here you have your T cell. And see, there are lots of different kinds of T cells. Stop right there. One out of billions. So I want to pause right here because I'm probably going to run out of time later and I'm just going to tell you. Your body produces billions of different T cells automatically. You say, how in the world could it do that? Folks, your body produces T cells for enemies you've never heard of, like COVID-19. It produces T cells and B cells in massive numbers for things your body has never encountered. In fact, in this book, he says, you have a, the most massive library in the universe for B and T cells. Every enemy your body will ever encounter in the history of time. And he goes on to say, when they bring something from Mars you never heard of, you'll have something to attack that also. And if I have time, class, and if I don't, you just remember, built into your stem cells and into your DNA is a process by which it can pick up all different kinds and make different kinds of B and T cells by recombinations, by the millions. So they're specific. Okay, let's go on. We're looking for just the right T cell. Dendritics. So here he goes. He's looking. Eh, not me. And the guy says, get away from me. You don't, I don't care about you. Get out of here. But not this guy. Whoa. He found, whoop, stop right there. This particular antigen is just the one that this T cell recognizes. And so they have love at first sight. And once that's identified... And this part, go right, let's see if you can stop it, David, at exactly the right time. Mm, nope. Oh, you went back, didn't you? All right, here we go. Here we go. Boom. You see, once this antigen is recognized by this guy, then this guy says, join me, and he activates that T cell. Now, it doesn't look like that, class, but it's a good picture. And what you need to get out of that is the dendritic cell, which came from the war zone, brought dead parts of the enemy, found the T cell perfect for that enemy, and activates him. Now watch what happens. He says, wake up. It's like a recalcitrant teenager who doesn't want to get out of bed. 
<laughs> Get up. Daniel, wake up. <laughs> but once he wakes up, class, he starts multiplying. Two become four. Four becomes eight. Eight becomes 16. 16 becomes 32. 32 becomes... <laughs> and before long, you have thousands of them. Stop right there, can you? Thousands, class, of T-cells for that specific enemy. Are you with me? It could have been millions of others, but no, it's that one. And then it sends about half of them out to the wound site. And the other half starts swimming around trying to find other things like B-cells to activate them. Let's go. So here we are, the T-cells, they call them helper T-cells, activated T-cells, helper because they're out to help everybody do better, like Barnabas. So you can think of the T-cells as the Barnabas of your micro uh, system. See what he's saying? Wake up. And he injects it with some chemicals. And he says to this macrophage, come on, boy, you can do better than that. Get yourself going. Turn red in rage. And <laughs> And boy, he's back at it. <laughs> and if you wanted me to, we could pause right here. And I could tell you the chemistry that takes place right there when that T cell injects that macrophage. There's a chemical that he injects in him that activates him again. Let me add him. So wow, I lost a bunch of stuff. Now, what's the other? Some of the other guys are going and finding B cells here. You got to have just said to me, just right B cells. So you've got to find the right B cell. Once he finds him, those guys start multiplying. Look, they produce enough. They produce millions of antibodies that start flooding your system. And by now, by the way, stop right there, can you? You, you got the cut thumb right and you got a Band-Aid around it. It's been about three or four days now. And you're starting to say, man, this thing's healing up pretty nicely. That's because your adaptive system has kicked in. And it's starting to come into play. But I have to pause right here. And you're going to hold for me, David. Don't go anywhere. Because I haven't told you anything about blood coagulation, have I? Shame on me. Because at the same time all this other stuff is happening, your blood is going through a cascade of reactions to help you close up that wound. They build a net across you to close it up. And ladies and gentlemen, may I just say this much? That starts with a cascade of reactions where this one makes this one happen, makes this one happen, makes this one happen, makes this one. It's about 15 different, what do you think? <laughs> in that cascade, and each one is dependent on the one before it because if they were active all the time, they would clot you to death. You know, one of the nice things about blood clotting is it closes up the holes and allows you not to bleed to death. You know, one of the bad things about clotting, it can keep clotting until it closes up your blood vessel and kills you. So the cascade has to go in reverse quickly to stop it from killing you.
and all of that's going on at the same time. I haven't told you a thing about that till just now. But in the meantime, your B cells have been activated, and I want you to watch what's going on here. Keep going. I mean, they flood your body with antibodies. See them all coming in here? And they surround those enemies. They, act to, they don't kill them, but they point them out. It's like an antibody's like a guy saying, here he is. Come get him. And so they start killing the enemy even more effectively. But in addition to that class, some of those B, uh, T cells become memory T cells. See him looking around? I'm watching. Watch. Oop, there's a potential enemy. You see him come up there? Eh. If that enemy is the same guy he was fighting before, you're dead. I mean, the enemy's dead because <laughs> of the memory cell. And then the B cells do the same. We're done, aren't we, David, for that one? Is that the end of it? I think it is. Whew. Get me back to my PowerPoints, will you? Here we go. All right, we started the class with the four big things, right? Recognition. So you got macrophages and enzymes and killer cells and antibodies that all recognize things. Some of them very specific, and I won't talk about that one. I won't talk about macrophages either. Whoops, but let's go to this. How do antibodies recognize things? Have you all heard the word antibodies? You have, haven't you? We've talked a lot about them in terms of vaccines and your body defending itself. And may I pause just a moment to say, our media has not given proper deference to your immune system. It's the most amazing thing there is, and they've talked about it in ways that I'm almost ashamed because it's way better than anything man has ever done in the way of vaccines. I know it messes up sometimes. Sometimes it kills you like there are autoimmune diseases. But for the most part, the immune system works remarkably. And how does an antibody recognize an enemy? Long discussion. But it's got two major parts. You see the light chain here, these short ones, and the long chain, they're called the heavy chains. You've got two light chains and two heavy chains that bind together. And at the end of the light chains and the heavy chains, there are the binding sites. See those little shapes right there? Those are very specific. Try again. Those are very specific, yes, that react to the enemy. And they are specific for specific enemies on the end of that little, almost a Y shape. Okay, next slide. They are connected to B cells first because you need this guy close to the nucleus of the B cell so things can start happening once you identify the enemy. Here we go. So here's a B cell with a bunch of antibodies attached. Here are the enemies. The enemies are picked up. And now you say, whoa, we got enemies. So watch what happens. The B cells start breaking up into plasma cells and memory cells. The plasma cells start producing antibodies of precisely that kind for that enemy by the billions. And they start flooding your system. How do they recognize the enemy? Because that particular end of the antibody has a specific protein configuration unique to that enemy. 
So you better have a lot of them. And did you know, class, that your stem cells are produced here? Both the T cells and the B cells. Now I'm trying to decide. I think I want to do it right here. <laughs> no, I'm going to finish the antibodies first. <laughs> diversity. Not only do you have to have recognition, you have to have diversity. Lots of different kinds. So may I take just a moment and explain to you how your body makes so many different antibodies? That's how right there. Is that good enough? In your stem cells, your body automatically produces lots of different kinds of antibodies. Once they find an enemy that matches, they start producing that one. But you first have to have a bunch to select from. So over here in the stem cells, they produce a lot. Let me show you how. You see in your DNA, I'm going to talk fast here. You don't have to remember any of this for the test. There are sections of your DNA, 65 fragments here, 27 fragments here, and six fragments there that you can select from to make your strands of the antibody. You see the long chains and the short chains? 65 fragments times 27 fragments times 6 fragments is 10,530 different types you can make. That's just for the heavy chain. Then for the light chain, there are 20, 40 fragments here and seven, uh, 5 fragments here. 40 times 5 is 200 types just to make the short chain. In other words, you can mix and mingle in the DNA. Put those together, you have to have a long chain and a short chain. 10,530 times 200 is 2,106,000 types. And by the way, in the DNA, there's a jiggle factor of about another 200, so you can make over a billion different antibodies automatically, guided by your DNA. That was thrown in free of charge. Destruction. You're in... You're, Immune system has to destroy things. Well, enzymes kill things, cytotoxic T cells, and the complement pathway. Listen, cytotoxic T cells, you better not mess with them. They will blow you up in a hurry. And there's a one blowing them up. It's called lysis. But T cells mature in the thymus gland. I return to Detmer's book. I hope I can find it in a reasonable amount of time because <laughs> I didn't mark it ahead. I'm just going to tell you. Every T cell has to go to university. They're produced in your stem cells. They go through your lymph system into your thymus. He calls it murder university. All right? If you're going to be a mature T-cell, you have to go through murder university. And class, there's a three-part test you must pass in murder university. The first test is, do you have effective systems that will allow you to make a receptor? If you were coming to my class at school, that would be, do you have the right materials that you brought with you for class? And if you were in my class, Linda, and you didn't bring them, I'd probably send you home to mom and dad and say, go get your stuff. You know what happens in the thymus? 
he says they take you out and shoot you in the head. <laughs> you don't pass that test, you're dead. Apoptosis. They really don't kill you. They tell you to kill yourself. Sorry, Linda. She failed test one. If you pass test one, then you got to pass test two. That's called the negative test. It's the test that asks you, are you able to kill something without killing something you don't want? you got to pass that test. If you don't pass that test, guess what? They take you outside and shoot you in the head. <laughs> it's murder again because you didn't pass the test. Folks, why is that so critical for a T-cell? Because if a helper T-cell goes out there that doesn't know how to recognize the difference, it's going to kill you. Then thirdly, the third test is the positive test. You've got to be able to kill the right thing as well as not kill the wrong thing. So in the process of test two and three, most amazing things happen in the thinos. It introduces these T-cells to every type of chemical in the body that belongs there that it shouldn't be killing. It's incredible, folks. I'm telling you, I feel totally ill-equipped to explain to you the magnificence of what I'm telling you. Your thymus puts them through the test. May I ask you, class, how many T-cells do you think pass and are allowed to proceed? You want to take out of 100, how many do you think? Take a wild guess. What did you say? About 5 to 10? The answer is 2. That means 98 had apoptosis. Don't ask me why or how, but those are the facts. In spite of that class, your body has billions of T-cells to take care of plenty of enemies. But no T-cell activates properly until it goes through murder university. I don't think you'll forget that one. And then there's the complement pathway. I'm just pausing. You got it? <laughs> no problem. No problem. People, what I want you to see is the massive complexity of this system. It's one reaction after another, cascading down until finally it attacks the enemy down here, cuts a hole in him, and blows him up from the inside out. But people, if this guy right here were activated at all times, he'd be blowing stuff up all the time. So he has to be activated by the previous step. And if that guy were activated all the time, you'd be blowing up also. Every step depends on the previous one that has to activate it. It's like a cascade. Did you hear that just a while ago about the coagulation system? This kind of cascade system is all over your body. And the complement system is another one of them. Now, we have a little video. <laughs> We're not going to play much of it, but you've got to see this much. Here we go. David, I'm counting on you. Boom. And he put a stop in there. 
What you see before you, ladies and gentlemen, are the 32 proteins that make up the complement system. These are little tiny proteins, relatively speaking. Every one of them critical. Each one has its own job. Do you see they all have names? I mean, look, in this immune system, terminology is horrendous. They pick ridiculous things to call things. But there they are. And they interact with one another in various ways and capacities as they kill things that don't belong. Again, if it weren't balanced, it would be very terrible. Now go on just a little bit. Remember how, when we're going to stop? There's your bloodstream. Stop right there. Your bloodstream. It is full of complement proteins. Let me, you help me with this number. This, that's what? 1,000, isn't it? That's, say it out loud, 1 million, 1 billion, 1 trillion, 1 quadrillion, 15 quintillion. That's how many little complement proteins are floating around in your bloodstream all the time. You cut your thumb, whoosh, along with everything else I said, is the complement system. God forgive me for the restrictive, miserable job I just did. It did not give you the proper glory. but we don't have time to keep going. Keep, help me move forward. The last is toleration. You have to have B and T cell tolerance. So you've got regulatory T cells. You've got whole processes in there to help you control so you don't kill yourself. Some of those get out of whack and you have an autoimmune disease. But for the most part, class, your immune system works like a charm. Recognition, diversity, destruction, and toleration all play together in such an incredible complexity. There is no way, beloved, small changes over millions of years like Richard Dawkins claims could account for this. You'd have been dead long since before the next step came along. But there's your page. And I end this discussion with a quote from Michael Behe. I love the man. The result of these cumulative efforts to investigate the cell, to investigate life at the molecular level, is a loud, clear, piercing cry of design. By the way, he had all caps and exclamation point in his book. The result is so unambiguous and so significant that it must be ranked as one of the greatest achievements in the history of science. The discovery rivals those of Newton and Einstein, Lavoisier and Schrodinger, Pasteur and Darwin. The observation of the intelligent design of life is as momentous as the observation that the earth goes around the sun or that disease is caused by bacteria or that radiation is emitted in quanta. The magnitude of the victory gained at such great cost through the sustained effort over the course of decades would be expected to send champagne corks flying in labs around the world. The triumph of science should evoke cries of eureka from 10,000 throats. 
should occasion much hand-slapping and high-fiving and perhaps even an excuse to take a day off. But no bottles have been corked. No hands slapped. Instead, a curious embarrassment surrounds the stark complexity of the cell. When the subject comes up in public, people, feet start to shuffle and breathing gets a bit labored. In private, people are a bit more relaxed. Many explicitly admit the obvious and then stare at the ground, shake their heads, and let it go. So I have to tell you a little bit in the book before that. He said there's a bunch of people in an empty room on the floor on their knees looking for something. And in the middle of the room is an elephant and nobody sees it. And he says, why does the scientific community not greedily embrace its startling discovery? Why is the observation of design handled with intellectual gloves? The dilemma is while one side of the elephant is labeled intelligent design, the other side might be labeled God. And they're not going to have it. I can read you a quote from Richard Lewontin, professor at Harvard. We will not let God's foot in the door. And I'll tell you, for me in my house, I have never dealt with more stubborn, mule-headed people in my life than some of the scientists I've had to deal with. including at Harvard University. They will not see it because they're not allowing it. It's out. Folks, I could win a debate if the only other answer is excluded. And that's what's happened. You were either designed or you were not. There is no other answer. And in my view, my humble opinion, the arguments for design are overwhelming, but they are not allowed. It is a disgrace. So is it reasonable to believe in God in this scientific age, class? There has never been a time in the history of all mankind that men should be proclaiming the majesty of God any more than right now. And I prayed this morning, dear God, give me the strength and the words to say something that will bring magnification to you. And I hope we've accomplished that tonight. Thank you for your good attention.